morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Now, with no offence intended to lovers of the Tour Down Under or the UAE Tour, the season is now truly underway. Opening weekend has been and gone and given us plenty of talking points in the run-up to Strada Bianchi. Now, joining me to pick away at the minutiae is my co-host, Tom. Tom, how are you? Yeah, hi, everyone. It's been a while, hasn't it? I'm very good. Um... Oh, go on, I'll ask how you are as well then. I know you want me to. No, I'm well, thank you. You've mentioned yeah. a key point there, which is that uh, our last episode, our first one of the year, we came back with a bang, said that we were here, ready to stay. We were planning on being more regular uh, and then we vanished for six weeks. Yeah, I think we're both at fault for that. You, you've been away covering cycling, so I think you can be forgiven. I have just not been available. Uh, we were supposed to record this uh, before the races that we're about to talk about as well, but I was in Italy wine tasting so we're doing this as a as a sort of debrief rather than a preview as well hey look i wouldn't want to deprive you of your wine tasting tours tom yeah what did you make of omelie pet news blood um it's good to have it back isn't it um opening weekend for me as you've just said we'll apologize to all these races in the middle east and to the australians but the cycling season begins proper in my mind, when we get into Belgium, Belgium's cycling mecca, isn't it? Um, I feel like, I feel like you need a cobble. A cobble kind of marks the start of the season. Yeah, and some Moulfrit and and a nice beer that's about nine and a half percent brewed by some Trappist monks somewhere. That's the trick. That's the, and you don't get yeah. that in the Middle East. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it's it is good to be back. And uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a few interesting talking points, isn't there? Um, I certainly, I, I don't think the races went the way I would have predicted. So um, it's just difficult to call at this early stage in the season still, especially, and we'll get onto this later, there's a lot of riders still working out their schedules, a lot of riders still getting their legs back from the winter. So um, it's hard to make a judgment on how it will go for the rest of the season if um, there's been any narratives uh, established already or if we're still getting into things. But... That is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to make yeah. <laughs> massive sweeping judgments based on yeah. one or two races. Um, Tom, Jumbo Visma. Jumbo Visma are the new uh, King of the Classics team, aren't they? Oh, unbelievable. Um, as I say, it's, it's opening weekend. There's two races. There's uh, oh, already into the Dutch pronunciation. That's when you know cycling season started, when we're struggling over Dutch pronunciations again. Um so we've had Omloop hit Newsblad. I'm not, not even going to bother. And then that's, we have you know, the, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> and then we have Kerner Brussels Kerner, and uh, Jumbo have won both. Uh, and actually, for me, I thought the uh, the real show of strength from Jumbo was Christophe Laporte taking third in Omloop as well. So they had two men on the podium uh, because uh, Dylan Van Baal obviously soloed away to a lovely victory as well. So. I'm glad you tap into that, Tom, because there are a few reasons. So I've pinpointed the reasons why both Dylan Van Bala and Lotta Kopecky won Omnipet Newsblad. And I'm sorry if that comes as a spoiler to anybody, but I'm very surprised if you're listening to this, if you haven't been interested <laughs> in those races. Yeah. Um, there are three reasons, right, why both of them won, because both of their wins were quite similar. Um, mm -hmm. The three reasons are, number one, the strength of the riders. Now, okay, that's a given. That's the boring reason. Uh, number two, teammates disrupting the chase behind. So Christophe Laporte got himself in that quartet that was chasing Van Bala after the Bosberg. And I mean, we didn't see much of it on camera, but I can only assume he was getting in the way, slowing them down, picking bad lines when he got mm -hmm. through on the front, things like that. 
Um, Lorena Webus did the exact same for Lotta Kopecky. She got in the chasing group. I mean, she ended up coming second in the bunch sprint, um, so which was anything. It was a, even more, you know, that stellar performance that a lot of people thought with ST Works might be a bit confusing, a bit like, you know, how's Webus and Kopecky going to work together as a team? Obviously, Kopecky is a more, you know, ruler, punchy, one-day climber. Webus is a sprinter who can lend herself to those races as well. Um, and we saw exactly how that dynamic is going to work and how it does work well. Now, the third reason, Tom, um, not to take anything away from their victories is some good old-fashioned camera bike motor pacing. What did you make? Did you notice that on the TV? What did you make of that? You know, I can't say I did at the time. I, look, I'll confess now, I wasn't watching. It's been a... Th- this last weekend for me has just been dedicated to Newcastle United, I'm afraid, rather than the cycling. So... Um, I, I had a side eye on it rather than I can't it wasn't it wasn't getting a hundred percent of my attention. So I've only um really read into it after the event rather than um seen it live. And but as you say, it's uh it's just that old classic, isn't it? As uh, it appears very regularly. What so, what what did you make of it? I'm glad you asked, Tom. Um, because I've as as always I've decided to rely on scientific um mm-hmm. study a scientific study here for evidence um now we cannot conclusively say that the motorbikes helped them to their victories or that indeed they were not going to win had the motorbikes not been there i think van Bala was absolutely flying as was kopecky but kopecky was hemorrhaging time at a different rate i think i mean she she went over the top of the bosberg with 40 mm-hmm. seconds that came down to 20 seconds and then by the time the sprint came, you know, when she sat up and celebrated a little bit, I think the winning margin was only about 11 seconds. Now, mm-hmm. Kopecky was said to be going about 50 kilometers an hour, which is very fast. Drag reduction is so fast. <laughs> Drag reduction <laughs> is huge at those speeds, right? So, I mean, she was caning it at 50 k's an hour. This study that I was reading, uh, a 2019 study from Eindhoven University. So it's, it's a Dutch study, Tom, so we can trust this when it comes to cycling. <laughs> um, they found that motorcycle at 30 meters reduces drag by 12%. Now, I can hear you. Well, I can't hear you, but I can see you thinking, what does that mean in real money? What that means, Tom, is that it gives a time gain of 2.6 seconds per minute. Right? Now, over five minutes, that's over 10 seconds. 13 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Now, what happens when that motorbike is brought closer? So the motorbike at 10 meters, the rider gains over five seconds in a minute. Do you have the distances and how close they were behind these bikes? No, I do not. I've not done that amount of research. No. But it shows, and this is a study that I've seen people rely on before, it shows that there is a massive massive influence there but i'm like well what can you do about it right they, they need to film the race well, maybe, te- maybe teams just need to be more aware of that yeah if you look at the men's race regardless of whether or not dylan van bala was uh behind uh, a camera bike he had a group of four chasing him behind they should have been able to work together surely to reel him in anyway well, it was the um, same with Kopecky. Kopecky had like basically yeah. the entire peloton bearing down on her she had all of movistar and uae team adq pulling uh, let's not i mean everyone's got a bike in front of them somewhere that's just the nature of the sport these days as well so it would be simplistic to only put it down to oh well she had a camera bike in front of her you're right which is why i'm very cautious and i listed you know number one reason as i said as you'll remember tom strength of the riders 
Don't worry, I think these things even themselves out. Something I did find annoying from the racing there, Tom, um, and mainly because I was writing race reports on both of them, was that mm -hmm. the coverage for the women's race was under an hour. Yeah, look, this is something we've talked about before. It is an ongoing problem within the women's sport, and it's great to see it being addressed at certain races. Uh, it's a shame that it's not being addressed at all races because under an hour is not enough. I, I, I wonder what the kind of rationale behind that was. I mean, it was it's a big race, Omelie Pet Newsblad. Like a lot of people would tune into that. It's the first cobbled classic of the year, first big race in Europe. Surely the audience is there and waiting. And what we get is it kind of shoehorned in after the men's coverage. It opens with 28 kilometers to go. Fortunately, Movistar's Arlene Sierra timed her attack. I mean, I was following it on various websites, right? And nothing really happened before that until Arlena Sierra, about 27 kilometers to go, launched her attack when the cameras were rolling. Now, the so cynic it, in me would say that that is not a coincidence at all. But Yeah, well, look, the, the annoying thing as well is that the race broadcasters will be like, well, look, we turned it on at the exact right time, so we'll do it again next year, and it worked. How do you get exposure in this sport? By making attacks when the cameras are on you. So... There's part of me saying there's a reason why nothing's happened until the cameras are rolling, but who knows? But no, no, I, I agree. Look, you sound cynical, but I think you might be right. As in, like, what is in it for smaller teams? Like, why get in a breakaway if there's no coverage? Well, exactly. Which is probably why no breakaway rent went for, like, 90 kilometers. But it, maybe it's a bit contrived uh, as to how bike racing functions, but a lot of it is about getting exposure, getting money and, you know, moving your way up. And to do that, you, you need TV cameras on you. And if they're not there, then there's no motivation to to race the way that we are accustomed to races happening. Yeah. I mean, so I know the way they happen in the men's peloton. Look, Tom, I can tell you, if, if I was in that peloton, right, and it came to a Mervyn Heraldsbergen and there were no cameras on me, not a chance would I be throwing myself off the front. No, um, because especially in one-day races like this, is the is the breakaway a successful in itself? How you know as yeah? How do you gain exposure? You either win or you spend ages on camera out front on your own. And is the breakaway? Are the odds with you that that is going to be a successful winning tactic? The likelihood is no. So unless that other side comes into it, it's just not worth it. We'll see. I mean, it, it was the same again for Le Salmon today on the day that we we're recording. I think I saw somebody mention on Twitter that um, off the two races that there were like only 60 kilometers off them shown when there is an option to have like over like 250 kilometers off the race. So we will see like, you know, people are asking for it. I'm sure. And I hope it's not falling on deaf ears. Um, Tom, did you watch much of the racing that happened in Spain at the start of this year? Honestly, again, no. <laughs> I've been keeping up to date with it, but uh, it's, yeah, it is. We're now getting to the time of year where I'm switching on my cycling brain, and it, it's it's the one day the classics are what get me into gear. So um, the early the early stuff, I can't say I've seen too much of. Okay, but you're aware that the Jonas Vinyagard, Tari Pogacar slugfest of bragging rights has commenced. I am aware. Yes. Okay. Here's a boring question for you. Um, are they 
giving it too much at the early part of the season and now have completely ruined their chance of the Tour de France? Well, this was something interesting because I thought Taddy Pogacar might have learnt from previous seasons where he has given a lot early on and it has maybe jeopardised his chances of winning the Tour, i.e. possibly last year. Um, and the early indications were that maybe he has been told to rein it in a little, especially when you looked at his race schedule and things, you think, oh, maybe he is just targeting the tour. And then he comes out and wins like three out of three in the, the first races he does. And you're like, okay, no, he's doing exactly the same thing as always. <laughs> he's he's just not got it in him to take it easy for the, like think of someone like Chris Froome, right? When mm -hmm. would you ever see Chris Froome winning like four stages of a race in the run-up? Well, in like February. You wouldn't. You'd see him cruising around the Dauphiné, um, maybe taking a time trial, just getting his legs into gear, and but saving himself. Um, and that was it, wasn't it? That was you wouldn't see him at the at the Ruta del Sol or at any of the one day races and things like this. Uh, because, I mean, he's a different breed of rider, but um, he'd go and he'd go and do what maybe Romandie, the Dauphiné. Um, but this this is what I've got maybe time the for. Giro. But, I yeah. love the fact that someone like Tadej Pogacar sees the Ruta del Sol and thinks, great, another thing to add to my Palmares, I'm going to go out there and smash it. And he does just go full gas. Yeah, and the same with Jonas Vinegard on O Gran Camino, which is yeah. an even lesser known race. Is that in Spain? Yes. Um, couldn't tell you where it is in Spain. Didn't watch very much of it. I'll be honest with you, Tom, apart from I saw that one stage got completely hailed off by... Uh, snow and a hailstorm or whatever it was i was gonna say it's just it sounds portuguese so it must be in the northwest of spain somewhere but yes this, i uh, think it is I have to say it did pass me by yeah it but is yeah. It's the Galicia, the tour of galicia there you go um nine victories between them apparently and this is again another stat that i saw on twitter that i did not take down the name of who it was so i'm very sorry for pinching this uh it's the most ever for the first and second of the tour de france before the end of february in the following season there's a stat for you, Tom. Uh, try again, and, try and understand um, that. I don't know with uh, with with Vinga goes so much, but yeah, Pogacar just seems to. He's just going to go out and absolutely go for any race he's in. I I get the impression that Jum Jumbo as an outfit, especially as we've we've seen the strength and depth they've got for these one day races already. They um they might have a more targeted approach, but um. The sport is changing and you're just getting this different breed of young rider come through who are they're able to do everything. Um, that was the thing, you know, you go back 10 years and if you wanted to win a Grand Tour, you had to be a time trialer who could climb. And you wouldn't see, you'd never see the yellow jersey at the Tour de France lining up to do cobbled classics. Well, well I mean, Tadej Pogacar is not doing Strada Bianchi this year, presumably because of... I think he's so his calendar this year is more geared towards not getting seriously injured. Mm -hmm. So like he wasn't at the UAE tour where you know you have risks of like crosswinds. There's also big crashes on those like desert highways because people aren't concentrating as much. Um, and the same with Strada Bianchi, where you know you get a lot of crashes on those gravel roads where you know the white dust is kicking up and they can't see a thing in front of them. He's doing these more kind of precautious races, you know, a Paris-Nice, something that's nicely well-organized, similar sort of roads, nice, safe French roads. Um, same with the Ruta del Sol. Is what, 
That's what makes you think that he might be taking a more measured approach because in theory, he's the reigning champion at Strade and he's the poster boy of the UAE team. So if there were two races that you'd think he would have to go to, it would yeah. be those ones. Um, so you think, um, you know, maybe he's he really does have a very specific and targeted approach to what he wants to win and what he wants to avoid this year. And then, no, he he's turning up at minor early season races and just going for everything. Of course, Tom, that was not the big talking point that came out of those Spanish races. The big talking point was the use of drone footage. Now, I know that you and I kind of differ on our opinions on these. I like it. Um, I really enjoyed it watching the cross over the winter. I think the way they get the drones to follow these riders through the woods over those short courses through the mud is absolutely fascinating and gives a different angle to the racing. And it's been it has been good to see it on the roads as well. It's not I mean, the roads aren't as twisty and turny, so the drones aren't as... You don't need to be as skilled a pilot or anything, I assume. But it, it, look, it could take the camera bikes out of the equation. Yeah. So, look, that's maybe that's the answer to that. My issue was the videos that we've seen of Jonas Vinegard time-trialing at the Gran, oh, Gran Camino. Mm-hmm. Um, you say that it should be a lot easier on roads. I mean, it is dizzying, this drone footage, right? It's swooping up in the air, like dive bombing into him. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it kind of like, you know, snuck under his handlebars, up through his armpit, then back through the spokes of his wheel. I did say to you yesterday that, you know, they, they do struggle enough with all the um, camera equipment they have on the road and the bikes. And it's not uncommon uh, to see incidences between the rise and the bite so is it on that basis it's surely only a matter of time before primos roglic is taken out by a drone and it definitely would be him as well it would be someone someone who is just so unfortunate it would cause a two rider pile up at the tour it will be roglic and thibaut pino <laughs> and everyone will say it's always them why always yep. them but it would if anything add to the narrative arcs so yeah and maybe we'll be then having a conversation about banning drones as uh, I don't, I don't think the drones are any more dangerous than inexperienced motorbike drivers on the road. Anyway, yeah, I mean, think back to Tour of Flanders, where Julian Alaphilippe dipped off the wheel of a, a motorbike and got taken out by it. Do you this is what that? I think. I think, yeah, no, of course I remember that. Um, but you can, you can probably survive an impact with a drone better than you can with a with a one ton bike or whatever. Certainly, or, or maybe we'll see we'll see instances of like riders climbing. And just swatting away drones. That's something that I, I think we could see. Or like throwing bottles at them or something. Because you see them throwing bottles at camera motorbikes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I can see the fans on the road doing that, to be honest, as well. Oh, uh, no, you're completely right, actually. <laughs> the fans on the road just plucking them out of the air with little glass bottles of Cronenberg. <laughs> and see the outer a drone trying to fly through like the Dutch corner or something. It's just it's not got a chance, has it? Well, this is the issue. Actually, now I think about it. Obviously, the way the Tour de France works, right? is the caravan comes through and it throws a load of like plastic freebies to the side of the road. So they're just <laughs> loading up the spectators with ammunition to then just ping at the drones. That's exactly what's going to happen, Tom. I look forward to that. That sounds that sounds great. <laughs> um, Strada Bianchi. Let's briefly touch on that. Let's. We're not going to get into the debate of whether it's a monument or not. We know it's not a monument. It's a very good race and it's oh, more wow. interesting than... Uh, Four out of the five monuments. We'll leave it at that. Now we move on. Four. Hmm. Will we leave it at that? Well, look, do you want to guess which which one which one would you say isn't more interesting then? 
Well, that's the thing. I don't know which one you, it's your. I'm, well, it has to be Flanders or Rube that you've got in your head here. But I'm not yeah, sure which because they're both they're both very interesting. No, no, it's Rube. Carry on. Okay, it's it's uh, certainly got a, a much better finale than all of them, bar maybe Milan, Milan San Remo, which is a very good finale. Yeah, I'll go with that. I mean, up the hill into the uh, into Siena and into that whatever that square is called. I can't remember the. Um, why is that square called? The uh, Plaza de Duomo? No. Yeah. Piazza. Piazza del... They go up the San Caterina and into the Piazza Campo or something? Yeah, that's. I think that is what it's called. It's where Piazza they do the Palio anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that is a great finish. They, uh, up, up that hill, uh, two right-handers and down the hill under under the finish line. It's, it's, that is the iconic finish. And I, I won't dispute that. It's better than a motorway in Belgium somewhere, uh, which is, I think, what you get for Flanders at the moment. It's exactly... Okay, thank you, yeah. Case closed. <laughs> Let's talk about the riders. Um, we were promised a Mathieu van der Poel, Wout van Aert face-off here. We will not be getting Unfortunately, Wout van Aert has since been deemed surplus to requirements at Jumbo Visma. Um, but it's not like he's actually just quite poorly. Um, <laughs> so we're not getting that, but we will get Vanderpol essentially uncontested on his uh, road debut this year. Yeah, um, I had assumed you were going to ask me who's going to win, and I, if you look past Mathieu Vanderpol, I, I don't know where you're looking because he is must be such an odds-on favourite at this point, given who isn't going to be there. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know who's going to spring a surprise and beat him because even when the full field's there, he showed two years ago that that's, that is still one of the most devastating attacks I've ever seen. So you'd have to expect him to be able to pull off something like that again. Yeah, look, nothing compares to that. That is, it, it's pure violence. And if anything, he should have been taken away and questioned by the police after that. I mean, when you look at the the cyclocross world championship this year that move he made on Wout van Aert and just that extended sprint at the end that's exactly what's needed to to win up the Santa Catarina in Siena that sort of power again so he's already proved that he has got the legs this year as well okay well for the sake of uh discussion I'm going to float to you a few more names Tom and you will tell me you know maybe like a percentage chance of them being able to beat van der Poel at Strada Bianchi okay mm-hmm Pish Benut, a former winner of the race, now, I assume, Jumbo Visma's leader at the race. You would expect so, especially as he, again, he does have the form this year. He's just won Kurna Brussels Kurna. Um, you'd have to expect that Jumbo team will be very strong. They'll have a lot of options on the road. Percentage, or or a mark out of 10? Five. Five out of 10. Ooh. Okay, that's, that's, a, right. that's a 50% chance. Does he have a 50% chance? No, 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 no. no. Five, five, out of yeah. ten, no five out of 10 means it's, he's got a pretty meager chance of winning. Um, okay. I fear the next one. Well, I, well this is, I do think they've all got pretty meager chances. This is the problem. I fear the next one's going to have even slimmer odds. Um, Group Armour, FDJ, Valentin Madouas. I he's my like dark horse. Out of left field. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at a two or a three for Madwas here. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is and... not to disparage any of these riders that you're naming. I'm no, no, very I know, confident. I know, I know, you are speaking to the Matthew van der Poel fan club here. So. Yes, I know, I know. Um, Ineos Grenadiers, Thomas Pidcock. Pidcock. Um, we'll give him a four. He's a four. Tish has yeah. got a better chance than Pidcock of winning Strada Bianchi. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, just because of the experience of the team around him, I would say so, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, women's race. Now, Van Vluten, who I think is riding it, right? Um, let me get up the start list, because we haven't really had that much of the start list at the moment, which is a bit of an issue. It's. I think it's the same story in the women's race, though, Tom. Like, Lotta Kopecky is in such good form at the moment that I would struggle to look past her. She is the reigning champion as well. Um, knows what she's doing, has the experience, has already won this year. Yeah, I think I've said enough. I mean, the way she just kicked past people on the Bosberg at Omnipet Newsblad, if she does that again... She's going to fly. Um, I've just checked. Anna Van Vluten is racing it. Now, she has said that she's not as explosive this season and that she's going to be focusing on stage racing. I don't know if I believe that. Is it, we won't know, will she, until she's until she has done it. But you'd think the years will have to catch up with her at some point, And that is normally the way it does manifest itself. She should be better at the stage racing than she would be at the one-day stuff. Um if okay. it was a shootout between the two of them, I think I would be looking, I would definitely be backing Lotta Kopecky. Right, well, we'll do the same thing for this race then. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. give you three names. You can tell me, number out of ten, their chances of beating Lotta Kopecky. Okay, I think they'll be similarly low. Right, Annemiek van Vluten, let's start with her. Oh, uh, okay, not as... Six. Six, right, okay. She's the best competitor that we've got so far to somebody, uh, somebody else winning. That's probably um, harsh now to meet Van Vluten as well. She could even be a seven. No, 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 it's okay. Mm. Um, Cassia Nivia Doma. Now, we haven't seen much of her for a while, but she's quite punchy. We haven't. I do think the women's field is possibly more open than the men's one. Um, yeah. Uh, certainly, Kopecky seems, in my mind, a bit more vulnerable than Van der Poel on current form and with the lack of his main competitors just seems unstoppable to me. Um I'd say similar for Cassian. Yeah, we'll give her a six as well. Okay. And Elisa Longo-Borghini? Again, Italian. Has won it before. Just looking now, 2017. Six years ago that was already. That seems unbelievable. Um, So we'll give her... uh, I can't give everyone a six, but we're talking there. There or thereabouts. Five and a half. No, I would would say Longo-Borghini is a seven. Yeah, um, I think they're all around. They've certainly got a lot more chance, um, and I think we'll see a closer race. Uh, I, I I can only see the men's race going one way. The women's race, I think there's a lot of ways it could turn out. Okay, so there we have it. Um, we will, I guess, come back and, and review these predictions, although I think we're both pretty concretely saying Van der Poel and Lotte Kopecky. Yes, 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 basically. There's... They'll be clear favourites if they uh, they must both be odds on to win. I would imagine so. Um, Tom, if people want to, if, if people disagree with that, where can they? Oh, I haven't said this in a while. This does take me by surprise, but they can go. To... Yeah, where where can they get in touch and tell us? They can go to Twitter. Well, they can also go to Instagram, but Twitter's the place to do it. That's where we're most active, and they can go to at ttpdcst. Um which is TT Podcast with all the vowels taken out. Now, will you be watching Strada Bianca this weekend, Tom, or have you got bigger fish to fry once again? <laughs> no, I, sh- I think this weekend I will be watching. Um, I've not got 
as exotic a destination lined up as Italy this weekend. I will, in fact, be in Middlesbrough on Saturday. So, um, uh, yeah, anything to distract me from that, a bit of cycling would be lovely. Wonderful. Well, you do enjoy watching the uh, Tuscan gravel roads from Tyneside. Is Middlesbrough Tyneside? Teesside? Teesside. From Teesside. And I look forward to dissecting the race with you, uh, hopefully at some point within the next six weeks. <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely be within six weeks because this is it. The race has come thick and fast now. I like these races. So <laughs> this, we're getting to that time of the year where I actually watch the races we're talking about, which is always a big plus for our listeners. And and um, you're willing to find time to speak about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crucially. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Tom, a pleasure speaking with you. Everybody else, uh, the listeners, I should say, really. Um, thank you very much for tuning in and supporting us. And we will come back and speak to you at some point soon. Take care. Thanks, everyone.